0: Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Chapter number five this morning, Galatians 5, we are in a series about one another, about one another we have looked at acknowledge acknowledge one another Uh, we have looked at love one another and this morning we're going to consider serving serving one another again whenever you take all of the one another scriptures and you kind of break them down uh, to my estimation you could really uh, sort them about five headings and that being acknowledge love serve uh, pacify which would be at peace and uh, also exhort And uh, approaching it the way that we have been approaching it, because for my estimation, in my opinion, uh, you will not you will not exhort someone that you're not at peace with and you will not be at peace with someone that you're not willing to serve. You for sure won't serve someone that you don't love and you will not love someone that you can't even acknowledge. So that's the reason why we have set this up. Amen. In this direction this morning, Galatians five, just one verse of scripture, although I have plenty others along the way this morning. Galatians 5 and verse number 13, the Apostle Paul, writing to the church of Galatians, says this. He says, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another but by love serve one another and there already is tying together my last week of love and this week of serve you're to serve by love amen and so uh, we need the lord to touch us today to open our hearts and understanding father i come to you this morning so grateful lord for being in this place and in this house i pray lord today that you're able to help us god i pray lord in this service today God, anoint our minds and understanding every individual. Lord, sitting under the sound of my voice, I pray, God, today that we're able to glean from the word of the Lord, glean from the scriptures today, to see, Father, what they would speak, what they would say, Father Jesus, into our lives. God, we'll give you the praise and the honor and the glory, Lord, for what you do and for what you accomplish, Jesus, in this place. In Jesus' name that I pray, amen and amen. Can the church say amen? Hallelujah. You may be seated. If you're warm, say amen. 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 Let's go kick that back another degree. Brother Fred, please, I'm in agreement. If you're cold, I don't know. Um, sit closer to your neighbor if it's appropriate. Amen. One one another, uh, just kind of a review again for what we've been considering here over the past few weeks. One another, two words, of course, in our English language, but only one word in the Greek language, which is what the New Testament Uh, is written in or translated from expresses an action in done in two or more directions so it carries the idea of one another or each other something that happens reciprocally Uh, you do it and they do it as well or mutually uh, between two or more people and again we started out this series understanding that this one anotherness is what I'm saying all times. This one anotherness is a well founded biblical principle. The Bible told us in our first lesson so we being many are every one members, one of another. And again, in the New Testament scripture, that word is used about 100 times in 94 verses in the New Testament, 47 of them, give or take. Amen. 47 of them are commands given unto those who would follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And whenever I look at them, once again, we come up with about a quarter. A quarter of those 47 uh, are one another commands have to do with serving. Serving yes. one another. Twelve times the call to serve one another is repeated in the New Testament. It is recorded by four different authors. It's recorded in eight different books of the new Testament scripture. And it's another one of those commands that's similar to last week of love one another. It's one of those commands and statements that comes directly from Jesus Christ where we get some uh, second tier, like from the apostle Peter or apostle Paul, or even James. Uh, This one comes directly as one of those that come directly from the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I think we should place a lot of importance. A lot of value, a lot of worth on that, although all these uh, are good and well, whether they came uh, uh, from Peter or Paul or such. These just seem to carry some weight since we hear them directly from the mouth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so to serve to serve, we're already three now in here to serve must go beyond just acknowledging them to serve must go beyond acknowledging It must go beyond loving or making a choice. Amen. As we talked last week to love one another, because those two things are really just prerequisites to serving the prerequisites to serving you, you acknowledge and love someone. And as a result of that, you have the ability then to serve them because you will not normally serve somebody you do not love. Not normally. I know there's cases that some maybe do, but not normally will you serve someone you do not love and for sure not serve someone you're not even willing to acknowledge. You know, it's kind of like the priest and the Levite that go by, and they even kind of give a little pause at the, at the Samaritan, or rather at the man that fell among thieves, but they didn't serve him. They just kind of went on by. But the one who was the good Samaritan came, the Bible says, to where he was, acknowledged him, and by love served him by putting him on their own beast and taking care of whatever cost and expense was necessary for him at the end in order to get back uh, to good health. And so our text in Galatians five says by love, serve one another, which means this by means of love, by means of love, serve. So we go back to John 13 where we spent a lot of time last week. We go back to John 13 because it's this idea of serving uh, that's also within that chapter that as last week, we've seen the idea of loving was in that chapter. As a matter of fact, It seems as though the Lord was asking them to serve and then later told them on what basis they were to serve. They were to serve on the basis of love. Jesus has, in John 13, just finished washing his disciples, all of his disciples' feet. That's serving. That's serving. He just finished washing all of his disciples' feet and he spoke to them and commanded them to wash one another's feet. And then a little later in the scripture, as we've seen last week, he brought to the forefront the key to their service. The key to them being able to wash one another's feet would be because there would be a new commandment, so to speak. And that is that they would love one another, even as he had loved them. But whenever you look at John 13, like verse number one, whenever this is starting now, it begins to speak how Jesus loved his disciples. The Bible says that he loved his own that was in the world, the Bible says. says that he even loved them until the very end. And then after it makes this statement of his, his love for them, we see him disrobing himself from the garment that he normally wore. The Bible says girding on himself a towel. And the majesty of glory was stooping before menial, corruptive Mistake ridden men and going down before their feet and washing each of their feet. And this is something that's quite bizarre in the culture of their day because they had no other example in their culture, even in ancient literature outside of the Bible, of a superior that ever stooped and washed the feet of somebody that was, quote unquote, according to class, inferior to them. There was no other example like that in the Bible or other literature. There was no other example like that. As a matter of fact, the old, old uh, patriarch preacher, if you will, John Wesley, he observed he observed in his lifetime from reading and studying, he said in the first century, which is the time frame that we're talking about right here, that neither the Romans, all right, neither the Romans nor the Greeks even had a word in their vocabulary for humility. They had words for servants. They had words for slaves. But they didn't have a word in their vocabulary. This is serious. For humility. For lowering oneself. Lowering oneself on behalf of another. It was totally foreign to them. Could you imagine? I mean, if, 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 if there was another language outside of those that had a word for humility, they would have to figure out some other way to translate it to these folks because they didn't even have a word for it. They didn't have a word for it. So that goes to show us how just obscure this idea of serving one another or lowering ourselves on behalf of another was in their society. They had no term to describe it. And so what they did not even have a term to describe, Jesus exemplified before them among his disciples. He gave them an object lesson. That's really what happened there in John 13. Jesus gave them object. I mean, how are you going to convey something people don't have a word for? Well, I'll show you. So he gave them an object lesson for something that was totally foreign to their society, totally foreign to a superior servant, inferior. And he illustrates it right there before them. And then he he throws a curveball. Yes, Jesus. He throws, not literally, all right. He might have somewhere in his earthly ministry. I don't know, but, you know, a rock in it. But nevertheless, amen. He he threw a curveball because he uses something the disciples said. Kind of against them. He kind of did a little bait and switch. I do that sometimes up here. I get you all like, yeah, is that you agree with that? And you're like, yeah. And then I just turn the door on a hinge you know in the opposite direction just sets you up for something and so that's what he did for them in John 13 and verse 13 he says speaking to his disciples he says ye call me master and Lord and ye say well for so am I so they're like yeah you're our master Lord we've been following you around you know three and a half years we've ate where you ate lodged where you lodged yeah master and Lord and verse 14 he says if I then here he goes If I then your Lord and master have washed your feet. He says, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. He says, you guys call me Lord. You call me master. And if that be true, then there is none in this arena right now. He says that's too prestigious to wash each other's feet. What that translates into is this. There's none of us that's too prestigious, too high and mighty to serve one another. To serve each other within this this grouping of men. We've learned through uh, times and whatever we've had our foot washing and communion services in the early part of the year, we have learned over time that in the Old Testament normally, not always, but normally, it was the owner of the feet that washed their own feet, usually a person by and large washed their own feet, if not that, there was usually some type of servant or slave that washed the feet. But then again, Jesus is letting us know He's letting us know something that whenever we do this or when they did this object lesson or they did this, 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 this uh, a form of washing feet. In essence, they were pledging to take responsibility to If usually the owner of the feet washed the feet, they were pledging them to take responsibility for each other as though they were taking responsibility for themselves. Taking responsibility for each other as though they were taking Responsibility for themselves and so we go all the way back then to Cain and we holler back to Cain, Cain, yeah, you are your brother's keeper. You are your brother's keeper. You you are to a certain degree responsible for one another. The Bible says in 1 Peter 5 and verse 5, he says, likewise, he's just been talking about the elder, okay, he says, likewise, ye younger submit yourselves unto the elder. He's speaking about the elder and the elder's submission to God. And so now he says, likewise, younger, submit yourself to the elder because the elder, uh, uh, elder that is that is submitted to God, then the younger can be submitted to the elder. He says, so submit yourselves unto the elder. And then he follows it up with this. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with, there's that strange word for their day, humility for God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Again, now the book of Peter is written to the strangers of of various areas, like to the strangers of Galatia and Cappadocia and and Asia. So strangers, not just Jews, but it's written to uh, a melding, if you will, of people, Jew, Gentile, strangers. Amen. And he says this in the scripture. He says, your submission... Are you subjecting to one another that that servanthood? He says, "Yea, all of you. In other words, this is good for the saved, the unsaved. It's good for the elder and it's good for the younger. What he's trying to do is he said, this isn't just for a certain classification of people. It's not like the high class should only serve each other. And it's not like all the younger ones should just serve each other, but there's a crossing over. There's a crossing over the younger serving the elder, the elder serving the younger. There's a crossing over the poor serving the rich and the rich serving the poor. There's a crossing over the Jews serving the Gentile and the Gentile serving the Jew. He says, all of you, he says, all of you. In other words, he said the saved needs to serve the unsaved and the younger needs to serve the older and vice versa. All of you need to subject yourself and take on this role of submission and servanthood to one another. In so much, he tells us, he says, be clothed with humility. Now, Peter was there the day that Christ washed everyone's feet. His feet were was washed by Christ because he was a little pious and a little proud. And he said, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. No, 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 no. You, you because he understood this is this is the one they were calling. Him, said, you're not going to wash my feet. Christ said, if I don't wash your feet, then you have no part with me. And Peter, man, he jumps to the opposite side of the spectrum. He said, Lord, he said, wash my hands. and my I mean, like, bathe me, Lord. You know, I mean, I I want to have part with you. And so Peter was there when all this happened. And he's saying here now in the book that was written by him, he says, be clothed with humility. I wonder if Peter is remembering that moment back in John 13 where Jesus girded on himself a towel. And did the role of a servant to him and the other disciples. Because the word clothed here comes from a Greek word that means an apron of a servant. What he wears while he is working. Peter was saying put on that servant apron. Put on that servant apron. Put, on, put that towel around your waist like Christ put that towel around his waist. And have a distinguishable attire of one that is subjecting. One is, that is submitting. One that is serving. Man, that's what I want. You know, I, I don't want people to have to search and dig and be like, man, they're looking for gold and silver to be able to find that I'm a servant. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I don't want them to have to put me under a microscope to see if they can find any type of distinguishable trait they will set me aside as a servant. No, no, no. I want it to be apparent as it was then that I have, I, I'm clothed, if you will. I'm covered, amen, with the mindset, the mentality, and, and the serving aspect of part of our life. Every good church is a serving church. Every good church is a serving church. We serve each other. We serve new people that come in. We serve our community. Every good church, yes, yes is a serving church. And here's, here's motivation for being so. Here's motivation for serving. Because God resisteth the proud. I do not want to get on the wrong side of God. God resisteth the proud, but he gives grace. To the humble. now where you talk about God resist that word resists it was a military term that they used. it means that he set his army in battle array against god sets, God sets his battle in array against you whenever you 're not serving whenever you become proud or prideful and not. So I don't Let me tell you something. I got enough to deal with without being on the bad side of God. Huh? Life serves enough stuff. uh, Then for God to get everybody in the heavens turned toward me because I've got a little air about me. Amen. So he resists. Amen. But there's something deeper here. There's something deeper here. When we will not serve each other, there's something deeper. It may very well be that we don't love each other. Galatians 5 says by love, serve one another. So there could be there could be something more telling than when we refrain from serving one another. It could be an issue of loving. Could have an issue of loving one another. So so whenever you look at look the word here, serving, of course, it's, it's the giving of yourself to others. All right. For, for their benefit on their behalf. But look what happens. When you give yourself to others for their benefit and on their behalf, look what happens. Notably, God then gives grace to the server. He gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to those that are serving. So here it is. As we give to others, or as we serve others, God will give and serve us. God will serve us. You know, we, we feel pretty good. Some, you know, you feel pretty good about serving God. Huh? You feel pretty good. You know, that, that's a noble thing. That, that's a, that's a, a, a honorable thing, you know, to serve the Lord. We feel, we feel pretty good about that. But we have this, we feel humble when we serve somebody else. We feel good about serving God, but we feel humble when we serve somebody else. But the fact of the matter is this. We should feel more like him when we serve people. We should feel more like him when we serve people. He spoke these words in Matthew 20 and verse 27. He says, and whosoever will be chief among you, he is addressing his disciples again. Let him be your servant. Look at verse 28. He said, even as the son of man came not to be ministered, Unto, the word ministered there is serve in the original language, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto or ser- be served, but to minister, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. In other words, he said God came down, rode himself in flesh as Jesus Christ. He didn't walk among everybody for everybody to just be falling over, bowing and saying, oh, what can we do for you? No, he came to put on the towel. He came to serve. He came to give his life. For other people, and so whenever you start to give and serve other people, you should feel more like He. You should feel more like Him, because that's what He did. That's what He did. So He came not to be served; He came to serve. Look, if you will, Philippians two. I'm pri- I don't know if I got that Philippians two five. Look at the path that He took. To serve us. Look at the path. Look at this today. Philippians 2 and verse number 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. The word mind there can be translated, mind heart so. Let that be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Who, that's Christ Jesus, be in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. But look at verse 7 but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name, which is above every name. Now look at this. Whenever we follow the pattern of Jesus Christ, which we are admonished to do, when we follow the pattern of Jesus Christ, we serve people. But just like Christ, when he serves people or when we serve people, then God will exalt you. When you serve people, you don't have to worry about exalting yourself because God will exalt you. See, society has things in reverse. They think if they don't take care of themselves, nobody will. I got to look out for myself. I got to look out for my own things. I got to look out. Everything's about me. I got to look out for myself because if I don't look out, I know that one, that one, this thing. No, nobody going to look out for me if I don't look out for myself. But that's against the biblical principle. The biblical principle is this. If we'll look after one another, God will look after us. If we'll look after one another, God will exalt us. Uh huh. Jesus came down. He condescended from glory. He came down to serve people, and in the next breath it says God exalted him. He came down, but God exalted him. Not only that, the Bible says, and he gave him a name above every name. They called him Jesus. Now, listen to me. Have you ever called someone a certain name because their actions mirrored that person? Have you ever done it? Sometimes I get that in my family. Sometimes in my family, sometimes, uh, sometimes I, a little honoring. I get like Grandpa Weisenberger and they say, hey, Junior. And so, so they're calling me by his name because whatever I'm doing at that moment is mirroring his actions, mirroring that person. I'm acting somewhat like Grandpa Weisenberger. Right. Whenever you take the role of serving people, God will exalt you, but he'll place a name on you too because you're acting a whole lot like You're acting a whole lot like Jesus did whenever he walked along here in shoe leather. He said, I'll give them a name. I'll call them after what they are pattering themselves after right now. Someone say amen. And look now, verse 5, it tells us, it says, Let this mind or heart or so, which is the totality of the frame of man, let this heart, if you will, be in you. That tells me we have control over this servant thing. We have control over this servant thing. Everybody say let. let. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. A servant heart. Right. Let that heart be in you. Right. A servant heart. Now look at verse 8. Look at verse 8. Being found in fashion as a man, he, this is speaking of Christ, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. Watch it. So humble people. Humble people, servant like people are obedient to death. Now just follow me. namely the death of their flesh. That's what happened to Jesus. He went to a cross. What died on the cross was the flesh of Jesus. He was obedient to his flesh dying. Servant like humble people are obedient to the death of their flesh. What that means to the death of themself, self, S-E-L-F. When you can readily lay down self on a cross, and let self be rejected, and let self be ignored, you've entered the office of a servant like him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Listen, normal, normal, normal execution, normal death among the Jewish society was by stoning. Listening to me? Normally it was by stoning. Whenever the Jews normally executed a person, you can read it all the way up until the New Testament time. When they normally executed wrongdoers, they normally did it by casting them off many times, the brow of a hill, something like that, something that was already high, cast them off a brow of a hill. Those who were the accusers for against this wrongdoer, they would cast some of the first stones and then other people would gather in together and they would cast stones at the individual as well. And so normally for them to kill a wrongdoer in their society, they would cast them down. You hear me? They would cast them down. But by virtue of the Jews and all those at this time of Jesus' death, being under the Roman Empire, Jesus was not cast down to die. He was lifted up. He wasn't cast down, he was lifted up by the will of God. Amen. He wanted his servant, his servant. Doing, if you will, he wanted his servant along uh, with him denying his flesh. He wanted that servant, Jesus Christ that Christ that would deny his flesh on the cross. He wanted that boy when it was all said and done, not for him to be cast down, but for him to be lifted up in so much that above the head of that suffering servant above the head of that one that was allowing self to die on the tree. The Bible says in the gospels in three different languages, it was written above above his head, King of the Jews. The Bible says they one said, well, you really should have wrote that. He said he was King of the Jews. He said, well, What I've written is written. It just stated, King of the Jews. But what was written was right. Because God wanted his servant. God wanted his sovereign servant not to be cast down. Because God exalts his servants. You're not going to cast him down. You're going to lift him up. And you're going to declare him king. He's taken the role of a servant. But I'm going to call him king. Honey, whenever we mirror after the pattern of the Lord and you take up on the role of servanthood to one another, He will exalt you. He'll give you a name. He'll give you an office. Amen. Amen. (laughs) Peter says, God gave grace to the humble. Grace to the humble. See, leadership in Jesus' book, leadership for Jesus was servanthood. God came down, incarnate, and enfleshed himself in Christ Jesus. He didn't change who he was. All he did was got on a level where he could relate to mankind. And so he submitted himself to a level where he could relate to us. And where he could demonstrate his love for us in a way that we could understand it. And he led us then in how to submit our lives to each other and to him and to serve him and others with our lives. And so again, Peter says God gave grace to the humble. Now, when you look back at our scripture setting of Galatians 5, 13, it's speaking of that liberty there that we have been given Liberty, but we're not to use that liberty for the occasion of the flesh. The liberty that is talking about in Galatians, what's constantly being uh, hit back and forth for this idea of long grace, long grace, long grace, long grace. And so when it says that we've been given this liberty, it's speaking about grace. The liberty in the text was referring to grace. So we've been given this grace. As one man said, Wayne Barber, I believe he said, he said one of the purposes of their newfound liberty was for the purpose of serving Others. In other words, he said they would get it wrong if they thought that that liberty or that grace was given to them to please themselves. That wasn't it. It was for the purpose of serving one another, serving one another by love, serving one another. And so here's something that's very interesting to me. So it's telling me, this verse is telling me, in Galatians 5.13, where we started, it's telling me that I don't have the right to give my flesh an opportunity. I don't have a right to give my flesh the opportunity, but I do have a right to give others an opportunity through the service that I provide for them. Now, think about it. It would be a little conflicting. It would be a little conflicting to have received liberty, which is grace. It would be a little conflicting to receive grace because we humbled ourselves, postured ourselves, if you will, right before God, all right? So because he gives grace to the humble, it, it would seem a little conflicting that I'd receive grace because I've postured myself and humbled myself before the presence of God to turn around then and exalt myself among my peers. You follow what I'm saying? It would seem a little conflicting to do that because that grace came to me because I postured myself right before God. And the fact of the matter, it continues to come to me because I keep a good posture then among my peers as well. That I don't only show myself as a servant to God and he extends grace, but I show myself as a servant to them so they can experience his grace through me. One boy said it like this. He said, you can't be looking down on others and up to God. What, can you come here real quick, Stephen? Please you help. Bishop, come out here. help me. So, here, Bishop, I'm going to get you over here. Just, all right, stand up here so we can have a little higher level for God here. Although God is omnipresent. He's all around. Okay, I'm just. the Wait, get over here. You're just a normal person. <laughs> I'm sorry. You're just a normal person. <laughs> hey, you could have been the devil, though, you know. <laughs> so things are looking up already, I guess. I can't. Humble myself and posture myself right. This is what the man would say. You can't posture yourself right before God and at the same time look down upon man. If you go posture yourself right before God, then you need to be in that same posture before man. Huh? Because, lay down on the. I'm sorry. I, I'm. This, this is the way, though, some people want to do. They want to posture themselves humble before God and then have fellow man still yet under their feet. No, 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 no. He's saying if you posture yourself right before God, then that should posture you right before your men and women. That's your peers. You can get up. Don't fall asleep on me now. Amen. Thank you. Amen. And so the literal translation Galatians 5.13 is this. So use your freedom by making yourselves slaves to one another in love. Now, the word serve there in Galatians 5.13, the word serve comes from a word that means to be a slave to to be a slave to that's kind of peculiar but here's the thing throughout scripture even there were involuntary slaves and then there were voluntary slaves and slaves are obligated to serve slaves are obligated to serve But this obligation of serving, whether it be involuntary or voluntary, is the difference between servitude and servanthood. Watch me now. Paul is saying that we need to serve one another in a sense of not involuntary as though someone is making us. That some outside force is making us serve. But he's wanting our slave or our servanthood to be an obligation that we impose on ourselves. It's kind of the difference between the slave that worked for his master for all those years. At the end of seven years, he could be released. But if he loved his master, the Bible says... They could do the things necessary and he could continue with his master beyond those seven years. Not because his master said, you got to stay here, but because he felt compelled himself to stay there. That's the type of servant I'm talking about. Not that some outside force is saying, this is what you got to do. See, the difference between serving the way Paul's talking about, the difference between serving, some people serve because they have to, others serve because they want to. And that's the difference between servitude, serving because you have to, and servanthood, serving because you want to. That's the difference between obligation coming from an outside source and obligation coming from your own heart just because I love this thing. I, I love this person that I'm giving and I'm offering my skills and abilities to. Yeah. Amen. So, I mean, how does, how does serving then look like? What does serving look like when we serve one another i mean this grace that flows to us from god and then from us to others what what does all this what does all this look like first peter chapter number 4 and verse 8 and above all things have fervent charity among yourselves we read this last week i think this verse here for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. In verse 9, use hospitality one to another without grudging. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Look at verse number 9. He says use, use hospitality. Hospitality there is not a verb. It's an adjective, which just means it's just further defining, further defining that fervent, Charity in verse number eight that we're to have that will help cover a multitude of sins. Because when we serve, when we serve without love, again, when we serve without love, it becomes a have-to situation rather than a want-to situation. And so this, this, this scripture here shows love serving, loving one another, serving one another. That should go hand hand In hand. And here's the thing, folks, when we talk about uh, this love or charity that shall cover a multitude of sins. Love does not condone sin. Love does not approve of sin. But neither should love broadcast highlight on a real another's sin. See, the the proper example of love serving properly, I would believe, would be the Old Testament story of two sons of Noah by the name of Shem and Japheth. The Bible says that their other brother, Ham, discovered their father, Noah, in his tent. He was naked, and he was in a drunken state. He made a mistake. Ham broadcast it. Ham broadcast it. But... Shem and Japheth approached their father's tent by walking backwards with a garment draped on their shoulders to cover up their father's nakedness. Were they condoning what dad done? No. Were they approving? No. But they weren't going to broadcast it to the world and highlight it either. Amen. That's love serving. Love serving here. Love serving here in 1 Peter 4. That's not love being blind. That's not love being blind. Love serving here. This is love being aware of a mistake and a failure, but loving anyway. Yeah. Right. Not love being blind. Love's well aware of what's going on, but it's not. It's not holding it like an anvil above somebody's head. It's it's loving anyway. But the key to the serving in this recipe, <laughs> if I could call it that, the key the key to serving in this recipe there I think is. In verse number, verse number 10, as we receive grace, that's what he's talking about. Have you received the gift? And we understand the gift as you continue to read the verse. The gift is the grace, the manifold grace of God. As we receive the grace, which we got because we must have been humble. As you receive the grace, you should then serve or you should minister, as it states here, minister or serve that grace to another Now, here's the deal. You don't have grace inherently. All just wrapped up in yourselves. Look what the Bible says. Verse number 10. You received it. Huh? You received grace. It's not like you had it in your pocket. There it is. You received it. It was given to you. You received grace. Something that was given to us. And he says there in, back in 1 Peter 5, he said it was given to the humble servants. And look now what he says. He says, now that we've been given grace, we've been made stewards of that grace. Stewards indicating I don't own it, but I'm manager of it. And I got to manage it properly for the owner. And the owner says, the way that you properly manage grace for me is by serving the, one another. Serving one another. Romans 12 and verse number 10 he says, "Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love, in honor, preferring." Everybody say, "Preferring, yeah. preferring one to one another." Uh, a common statement of Gary Lynn, Gary Smith, always was, "Prefer your brother." Come on, prefer your brother. He always did that. Ever since a child, I remember Gary Lynn Smith saying, "Come on, prefer your brother." It says preferring. It's telling us it's to be a habitual practice. It's just not a one-time deed. Giving preference, look at it now here in this verse. Giving preference to one another comes on the heels again of love, kindly, affection. When we talk about honor, we're talking about worth. When we're talking about honor, we're talking about value, merit of something or someone. And so when we prefer someone, we honor them, we value them with worth. Whenever whenever we serve someone, we're, we're deeming that other individuals having much worth or much value. And again, all the members of the body of Christ are interdependent. We are dependent upon each other. None can be independent. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians twelve twenty-five: the members should have the same care, one of another. They should have the same care, one of another. The NRSV says it like this. Outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo one another in showing honor. Now, I want to back back up, if we can, to Philippians 2 again and a few verses prior to what we read just a while ago. Philippians 2 and verse number 2, here is Paul. He's speaking. He says, Fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind, Oh, man, he's going down the list. There's a lot of thing here that's causing my mind to think about unity. Like-minded, same love, one accord, one mind. He said, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than he, themselves. Here's, here's something marvelous that happens. When each of us serve the other, Better than, as better than ourselves, esteem the other as better than ourselves. Something marvelous happens in this serving one another mechanic. When that happens, no one goes without being served. That's simple. But if everybody in this audience would serve each other, you wouldn't have to worry about not being served because if everybody did what they should do, you would be served. Not by yourself. But by someone else. So whenever we get it right. Right. When we get it right. Nobody goes without. Being served or serving. Mm -hmm. Nobody does. Sometimes I I don't want to serve anybody because I got this self preservation thing going on. Again, who's going to take care of me? Me, myself and I. Uh (laughs) Who's going to take care of me? The world has modeled that for us, but that's not the church model. That's not the body of Christ model. See, whenever you do it like the world, then you take away. It removes the body interdependence. It removes the fact that the body supposed to be dependent upon one another, which is what he wanted his church to be. If I say it like this, when we take the mentality of the world of I'm going to look out for myself, here's what it destroys unity. It destroys unity. And in Ephesians four, Paul told the church of Ephesians what did he told him. He said, "Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace." Again, not called to produce the unity, but to keep the unity that he gave. To keep the unity, guard the unity, protect the unity, maintain the unity. And one way in which we do that is by serving one another. The main focus in Ephesians, we've done a series on Ephesians. The main focus in Ephesians is the church. It's all about the church, seemingly. Except whenever you get to chapters 5 and 6, he begins to hone in on these varied relationships that we have in our life. Whenever Paul gets over in Galatians five, he starts talking about the husband wife relationship. Then you get over into chapter six and he talks about the parent children relationship. Then you get a little further down in chapter six. He talks about uh, the slave master or the servant master relationship. So he begins to talk about these relationships when the whole concept of Ephesians has been on the church. But here's what Paul gives us in Ephesians. He tells us there are basically three ways. That we can keep or guard and protect and maintain the unity in the church in our various relationships. Whether they be husband, wife, children, parent, servant, master. He says the way that you do it, number one, you can read of it in in Ephesians chapter number five. Number one, he said you got to keep filled with the spirit you want to keep unity in all these various relationships and thus in the church keep filled the spirit number 2 this is for our purpose today he says you got to keep submitting yourself to one another right. yes husbands got to serve their wives and wives need to serve their husbands children need to serve their parents and parents need to serve their children yeah servants need to serve their masters and masters need to serve their servants said, so you got to submit. That's going to keep the unity. And then lastly, he told him in Ephesians six, he says you got to understand this in your relationships, in submitting to one another, that you're not fighting. You're not fighting people. You're fighting wicked powers. Huh? That's in Ephesians six, where he's talking about taking the whole armor of God because we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers, rulers of darkness, spiritual wickedness in high places. Yeah. Says you gotta keep in mind. He says, so you need to be filled with the spirit. You need to be submissive to one another and understand you're not fighting people, you're fighting powers. It's not he's against her and no, she's against him. It's not the children You understand. So one of the ways to keep the church is in these building blocks of relationships that we got, husband and wife and children and parents and, and servant and master and all of those that we could keep submitting to one another. And if we'll do it on those levels, then we'll do it at the church level. And if we'll do it there, we'll do it on the community level. Because it's a slap in the face. Hear me now. It's a slap in the face. If you can submit or serve somebody else in this church and you can't do that for your husband or wife. It's a slap in the face if you can give more honor to who employs you than you do than within your marital relationship. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Sometimes the wheels comes off servanthood in the church because it's come off in the family or it's come off in the parent-child relationship or it's... Mm Mm-hmm. Like all oh, of man, I feel something, man. There's a thorn in my flesh. Yeah. That happened some days ago. It just now came to surface here. <laughs> Glory, amen. Hallelujah. who Jesus. We keep this unity, then Paul's alluding to. It. We keep this unity, then we keep filled with the spirit. We serve one another and all these varied relationship roles that we have. And we understand that the focus that we're fighting against is not people, but powers. All right. And so that keeps the unity of the church. Another listen, here's a here's a real good way. I don't know if you thought of this. Here's a good real way. James even told us about it. James five, he, a good way, real basic way, perhaps a very effective way to serve one another is this by, here it comes, novel idea, praying. That's what he tells us in James 5, pray one for another. Amen. Pray for one another. And he even admonished us because the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. If you'll stand with me this morning. So serve one another. And so since serving one another genders unity. Then it it goes without saying, then if there's unity among us, then there's less likely to be upheaval. There's less likely to be war. There's less likely everybody to be in battle against each other if you're serving one another. And so that cultivates then an environment of peace. That gets me headed in the right direction for next week. of pacifying or being at peace with one another because we are called to. So you see how these man, these just kind of go hand in hand. One just kind of leans on the other for the success of it. Amen. I'm, I'm admonishing us though this morning that we need to serve one another by love, by means of love that we taught last week, serve, serve one another. Do so by honoring the other, do so by an obligation inside of you that you just you just want to do something for somebody else, because. for One, he has showed me the pattern, has done something for all of us. And and if I follow his pattern, I, I humble myself, but in doing so, then he will do the exalting for me and he'll place a name on me and he'll all of that. But the motive must be right. I'm not doing it for that purpose. Doing it for the purpose because I feel that obligation, that compelling within myself. Everything that happens, the exaltation, the, all that, it's just a byproduct of what I have a desire, inherited desire to do. I've been given so much, I just feel like the gift can't stop with me. I'm a steward and I got to share it with others because that's what the owner of the gift of grace would have me to do share it with somebody else. If we bow our heads in this place this morning. These altars are open this morning. If anybody would need to find a place or even just want to find a place to pray and say, Lord, over the past few weeks, I understand, God, that, Lord, I want to get to that degree or that place of being able to be a servant. God, not just to you, but a servant, God, to the men and women that are around me. God, to be a servant to My peers, God, that it would cross over the dynamics to be a servant, God, to people of various social economic classes to be a servant, God, to those beyond the walls of this assembly, beyond Lord, the the, the, the spectrum of my family, God, that I could be a servant. Lord Jesus, to them. Help me, God, to serve them through and by love. God, I want to be a servant. God, not servitude, not not that there's an outside force and I'm feeling obligated and pressured and made to do this. No, but within myself, there is that pressure. Within myself, there is that obligation, that yearning, that longing. God, for the benefit, God, of those that are... Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter